this is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. Expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the psychology of magic. We'll be chatting about how psychology is vital if you want to be a good magician. The danger involved in performing big illusions. And why magicians always ask for your name. Or some money. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. We're talking about magic. How did you get into magic, Richard? I've been into magic for a very, very long time. When I was about eight, I used to go and see my grandfather and... He always used to show me the same magic trick every single time. This is a really good one. He learned it during the Second World War. And he used to give me a Victorian penny and have me write my initials on the penny. He'd make it disappear using some of the worst sleight of hand I've ever seen in my life. But then he would reach under his seat and produce this little uh, tobacco tin that got elastic bands around it. He'd give that to me. I'd take off uh, the bands, open it inside another tin with more bands, take those off inside a little cloth bag sealed with a rubber band. I'd open that. There was my initialed coin. How? What? Ah! He was amazing. Uh, well, he wasn't actually, uh, but he, he smelled of tobacco. But it, it I find was, that amazing. Yeah, really it, uh, there was, it was a really, really good trick. He only knew one trick. He wasn't a magician. And one day uh, he said, I'll tell you how this trick is done, which magicians are not supposed to do. And I didn't like reading when I was a kid. I was very anti-reading. Uh, I found it very difficult. And he knew that. So he said to me, the answer to this trick is in a book and the book is in your local library. So I had to go to the library and read all the magic books, which I think was four of them at the time, until I found this particular trick. And that got me hooked on magic. So I've been into it since uh, I've been about eight, nine years old. It's pretty much been my life since then. I mean, your life is also as a psychologist. So, I mean, how does that interplay? I'm presuming you've shoved the two together. The reason I got into psychology was because of, of magic. So you're going out and doing magic tricks and fooling people. And obviously there's a lot of psychology because you need to control people's attention and, and, and how they think and so on. But it wasn't that. It was I read a book on magic and it said to be a good magician, and this is the real secret to magic, you have to be likeable because you're fooling and lying to people and they still have to like you. And that's quite a tall order. And most magicians, including myself, uh, normally fail on that one. Well, you could just be someone that, you know, people like until you've fooled them and then they want to punch you and then you go and find a new audience. Which is the normal reaction to magic. It's why I can't perform magic for my friends and family, because you show them something and they go, how's that done? And you say, I can't tell you. And you go, what, what kind of relationship is that with your friends? You know, I have to withhold information from you. So so it's very difficult. And but there, they said, there's this book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie's book, and this would show you how to be likeable. And so I read that book. And it's a fantastic, it's a bit dated now, but it's a fantastic book on psychology. And it's because of that I got into psychology. So it's actually via magic that uh, I got interested in uh, psychology. Wait, so you had to do the psychology in order to not make people hate you in order so that you could do the magic? That's the real secret to magic, is, is how you get someone to like you despite the fact you're withholding information and essentially influencing them. So that's why I got into uh, psychology. Uh, and then, yeah, I did magic all around the world. I, I did uh, join the magic circle fairly young in London, chose UCL to study psychology because it's right by the circle. Nice. Uh, went to perform in the Magic Castle in Hollywood, had the worst trip of my entire life. So I went to Times Square, which is pretty rough then actually, with a good friend of mine. Got mugged? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Oops. So we're watching the three-card trick 
And if you ever see the three-card trick in the street and find the lady, do not play. You're going to lose. It, 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 the whole thing is a complete setup. So with my friend, and I said, I'll, I'll count all the number of people in the gang because it looks like there's just one person throwing cards, but there's people playing fake bets, there's people that are going to break your legs if you do happen to win any money and so on. We counted 12 of them. And then I realised there was 13 because when I looked down, my bag had been taken. And it got everything in it, got all my props. Oh, and I was unlucky. on my way to... Uh, Magic Castle, uh, which is a, a magician's club in Hollywood to perform. And I got there and I got none of my props. And this is all my peers. And so I went down to Hollywood Boulevard and I was having a coffee uh, the day before I was supposed to open. And I was sitting at this this table. I just started crying because I was sort of early 20s. And I just thought, I can't do this thing. This is, I, I've got nothing to do. and I've come all this way. And this very nice woman came over and sat with me. She said, why are you so upset? And I said, explain the situation. And she said, well, I'm not surprised because you're focusing on what you can't do. You want to do this show. Your props have all been stolen. You can't do it. Why don't we just talk about what you can do tomorrow? And so I said, well, I could do this card tricks. And I could do this and I could do that and piece together 12 minutes. And that has been the best piece of advice I've ever had in my entire life, that sometimes we get so focused on what we can't do instead of just going, right, what can we do? A very simple idea. And that, that meant I went into the castle, died on my ass three times, <laughs> in, <laughs> three times a night. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. No, no, no. no. Uh, it, was, it was fine. No, um, no, listen, um, the point of this podcast is that we answer people's questions. Yes. So lovely as it is to just chat, I want to play you a listener question. Richard, you are amazing. Please, please tell us more about your incredible research into magic. <laughs> <laughs> Richard? Mm, yes. Yeah. That's a genuine question genuine. that's been sent in by a member of the public who just happens to sound a little bit like a, a computer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Would, that, would they be called Richard? It's possible. I mean, it's that level of scepticism which actually disappoints me. <laughs> in that uh, it's a lovely question. They're very uh, kind mm -hmm. uh, about my, my good self. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote it, when it was written, mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, I, I thought it'd be a nice intro in. So yeah, thank you for, for using that absolutely 100% genuine question. It's a great question. Well, do you know, it's another one ticked off. We have a real question now from a well-known performer about performance. She needs your help. Hi Richard, Joss Stone here. As a singer, going on stage night after night and performing the same set, I wonder if you have any tips for trying to keep my performance fresh each night. Richard, any advice for Joss? That's Joss Stone. I was on her podcast. She's absolutely lovely. And we're talking about happiness because it's called Cup of Happy. It was fun. She's very charismatic and lovely. Oh, she's an amazing singer as well. That's that's why that's what I heard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but it's a very good, uh, very good question, because performers, magicians, uh, especially, have to do the same thing night after night. How do you keep it fresh? And the best piece of advice I heard actually comes from a friend of mine, and he stands in the wings, and and he peeks out, and he sees the audience there, and he has this moment where he thinks, you know what? At some point. I'm not going to be well enough to do this. I'm not going to be famous enough to attract a huge audience. I'm not flavour of the month or whatever it is. And he lets that sink in. He lets him really think, OK, at some point this is not going to happen anymore. And then to pause and he thinks, not tonight though. And then he steps out with a spring in his step because he's realised to, to sort of really savour this kind of moment because it's not going to happen forever. So is it like this could be the last performance? It's, it's just thinking to yourself, enjoy the moment. 
there really is only this moment. Often we just think, oh, I'm going to take it for granted that this is going to continue forever. It's not going to. So enjoy this moment. And I think that psychological procedure he goes through is an excellent way of doing it. Another one, which happened to me, I was in, I was touring, uh, a book tour in Australia, and I was on my own, and it was a pretty soulless thing to be doing. You're going around giving the same talk several times a day. And I'm in the middle of nowhere in Australia, in this uh, little bookstore. And I was thinking, you know, I really don't want to go through this talk again. So I walk out to do it, I look in the audience, and there's a friend of mine from back in the UK from about 20 years before. And we were very, very close back in the UK. And I couldn't believe that she was there. And she waved to me. And it was this real moment of, oh, my goodness, my friend's in the audience. And so I really kind of bucked up and gave this kind of quite energetic talk. Raised your game. Absolutely. And now, every time I give that talk... You bring that friend. She's in the audience. (laughs) No, I do walk out. And I remember that moment. I look to where she was seated. And in my head, she's there. And she waves again. Oh, wow. And it just brings back that energy because it was such a kind of vivid memory for me. So all these things, it's about about living in the moment, making it real, remembering it's the first time for that audience, even though it's the thousandth time for you. I think all those things help to keep it fresh. Does she get a cut of whatever talks for being your kind of guru? Yes and no, but primarily (laughs) no. no. Okay. Uh, What is the greatest magic trick you've ever performed? Well, so I would say... The greatest thing I ever did was... See, the problem with magic is the framing. Is if I say to you, I'm going to show you a magic trick, instantly you're like suspicious and so on. The best magic happens when it happens naturally in the real world. So I'm walking along a high street in um, Palmer's Green, close to where I, I was living at the time with my girlfriend. And there's a shop there that sells gingerbread people. And I love gingerbread people. So she goes into another shop I go into the gingerbread shop and I buy, they sell other things as well, yeah. but I buy a gingerbread person and they've got two coloured kind of smarties for eyes. And I think I, they're all random colours. I think it was a blue one, a green one. And I put that into my pocket and I come out. She didn't know I'd gone into the gingerbread shop. So she came out and she said, oh, Richard, you love gingerbread. I'll go and buy you a gingerbread person. She goes in, she comes out and she's chosen one with an identical colouring on the eyes. It's like hundreds to one because there's... So I've now got a duplicate in my pocket of the one she's come out with. And your brain's going, oh, This is like the greatest moment. Absolutely. And so I took the, the, the one she'd... And I said, it's very kind. I put it into my outside pocket. I said, look, he'd run around at my coat and he's come out on the inside. Oh! And she was blown away. This was the greatest thing she'd ever seen. Did you then confess what you'd done? No, not for about a decade. <laughs> Because she's going on about yeah, it. Because yeah, yeah. I've seen we do all this other stuff. I've seen all your friends do magic and I can work it all out. But that gingerbread person trick, she goes, that was a miracle. That was the greatest thing. The worst thing I ever did. I mean, who, sorry, who doesn't want to have performed a miracle? Exactly. Exactly. I could have started a religious cult right there and then. It would have been quite an odd cult. feeding of the 5,000 with gingerbread. It, it would have been a gingerbread-based <laughs> cult. Uh, but you, you were about to say the worst thing. So I don't like big illusions. There's different sorts of magic. There's close-up magic, and that's fairly safe. But there's big illusions with boxes and and blades and things, and they are as dangerous as they look. If you ever meet people who do that work, they've got little cuts over them and and things. So uh, at the Edinburgh Fringe, somebody lent me a guillotine, six-foot guillotine, and it's relatively safe. (laughs) (laughs) 
if, if you're a competent performer. Oh, God. So you just set yourself up as a bad juggler. Uh, oh, yeah, bad juggler. Okay. And, competent and, and uh, an incompetent magician. So the idea of a spectator comes up, they put their head into the stocks, uh, a blade comes down from six foot, penetrates through their neck, and comes out the bottom. It's It's got a few things on it to make it safe. So, spectator. And the thing is, you know about the fringe is, is that you, you do lots of shows, you get a little bit tired, and you're doing the same show again and again. You get a little bit blase. You're not really paying attention, which is unfortunate. <laughs> spectator comes up, they do something which a spectator never done before, as far as I've seen with that trick. They put their hands <gasps> over the top of the stocks. That's where the blade comes down. So they're about to lose eight fingers. So I'm standing there, a bit tired, not really watching. Thank goodness stage manager sees what's happening. She shouts out, stop! And I didn't go, I'll just finish this first of all, yeah. then we'll see what the problem is. Yeah. I just froze. She came out and, oh my goodness, I was like, I was one second away. So I thank the person, put them back. I have never done any big illusions ever since. I still, I still have nightmares about that. Oh my god! I was god. second, like one millisecond away from from doing something terrible to, to somebody. So yeah, it does. Uh, have you do. helped other people do big illusions though? Oh yeah, yeah, quite a bit. I was fine as long as they're pulling <laughs> the trigger or like, well, no, they're like pushing the blade in, then that's fine. Yeah, no, they're, they're, no magic goes wrong. <laughs> and and uh, there's a very famous trick where you have a, a sort of spike that's that's on a stand and you cover it with paper cups and you mix them around, then you slam your hand down. Aye, 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 aye. And if anyone ever uh, performs that and gets you to slam your hand down on a cup, do not have anything to do with it. That trick goes wrong. The same as the all finger guillotines, which are the small version of the six-foot thing where you put your finger in and they slam the blade. Do not put your finger in that thing. You know, equipment goes wrong. So, um, yeah, that was that was my greatest, my greatest loss. Or great, it was my scariest moment, certainly. So a lot of the big tricks are... Dangerous, you're yes. saying. Well, some of them are, yeah. Some, some of them are just rely on astonishing technology. And, and so my favourite example from the 30s, it would have been Howard Thurston, who was a very sort of elegant, uh, smooth magician in America. And he's performing The Floating Lady. And that revolves a lot of technology, none of which the audience see. Very, very challenging trick. But he did this thing, which was incredible. He would go into the audience, get a small boy, bring this for eight years old, bring them up, and he would take them behind the floating woman. Now, that means that that kid must see the technology. And yet he did it every single night, and the kid looked wowed. And, and no magician could figure out how you could do that. And, 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 and it was sort of seen as a sensation. And a few years ago, Jim Steinmeier, amazing uh, magician, tracked down some of these people, these kids that are now grown up. And uh, or their, their, their offspring, and they all told the same story, which was that the elegant Thurston would bring the kid up, the kid would come round with him, Thurston would whisper uh, into their ear, and the kid would look up and see all of the technology involved in the illusion. And the, what Thurston had whispered was, if you ever mention this to anyone, I'll break your f***ing legs. <laughs> And that, ladies and gentlemen, is magic. <laughs> and so what the audience thought was a look of wonder was just it was shock. Terror. It was terror and shock on these young kids' faces. And some of them had never mentioned it for all those years <laughs> for fear so that Thurston would come and break their legs. So, so, <laughs> it was, I mean, so, so it's one of my favourite bits of psychology. Is that 
is that a sort of top magician's trick? Yeah, just terrify whoever yeah. comes up on. I said, no, they're, they're, they're huge control freaks, um, magicians. And so all this thing about well, well, if you, they do have some some tricks. When when you go up and help a magician, they'll often ask you what your name is. Now take it from me, they don't care. They don't care about you at all. You're, you're one in a long line of volunteers. But once you know someone's name, when you say their name, they have to make eye contact with you. And the moment their eyes are up, that's when you do whatever you need to, to do. There's lots of that sort of thing in, in magic. This understanding of the little quirks of human nature and exploiting them. You're listening to Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. We're attempting to answer a thousand questions, this time on the subject of magic. I'm really excited well, you shouldn't be too excited. Um, two can, rubber bands. Two rubber bands and a deck of cards. It doesn't get much better uh, than uh, than that. Uh, well, we'll try something uh, with this uh, little deck of cards. And I am, I'm just going to make this up. So some magicians are, are very skilled and would have a, a properly rehearsed act. Not me. Best to wing it, uh, I think. Uh, so if you say stop any time. Stop. Yeah, OK. Have a look at that. Uh, I'm going to try and uh, figure out what your card is by using what I refer to as body language. So let's spread them all out here so that hopefully you can see uh, most of them. Uh, good. OK. So can you see uh, your card? Yes. OK. Don't give me any indication of what your card is as I place my finger around this. Some people, just a wiggle of the nose, and it's, it's all I'm looking for. Okay. It's the tiniest of wiggles. So what's happened is uh, you select the card, I've spread them face up on the table, and uh, you know where your card is. I'm going to look at you for a tiny little wiggle, wiggle of the nose. Do I look at you or do I look at the cards? It doesn't matter. I'm just okay. making this up to be honest. <laughs> it's good, though. It's good. It's good. You like it? Yeah. Uh, right, OK. Oh, oh, a little wiggle, a little oh, wiggle over here. Oh, no. Oh, it's the strangest oh, of things. Oh, I gave it away. Call it male intuition. Uh, call it me uh, making something up. Oh, over here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm going to go uh, with the five of hearts. Is that your card? That is my card. There we go. It's very it's simple. It's a miracle. It is a miracle because you could have chosen uh, any of these. All of these cards here have got a blue back and your card, the five of hearts, has a red back. So that's a very, very simple little trick. You'd learn that as a beginner's uh, thing. But lots of psychology in there in that you've got to, you know, get the person to, to do certain things at certain points, control their attention, and most of all, you know, try and make some attempt to be likeable. That was really good. Well. So, hang on, was part of that that you were letting me in, there was a kind of pen and teller thing of, you know, I know that magicians do this thing and so uh, letting you behind the curtain a bit. But Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bit of expectation management of saying this is a terrible trick and, and bringing the bar down fairly low. There's also there, actually, uh, a false explanation. So humans are quite interesting. Once they've got an explanation, they don't search for an alternative one. So here I say this is all about body language, wiggle of the nose, and ridiculous as that, that is, still you latch onto it and you don't look for other possible explanations, which is precisely what I want at that moment because it lowers your defences and I can find the, uh, the card. So, yeah, Penn and Teller allegedly expose magic, but actually the magic they create is, is so wonderful that, that most magicians will be quite forgiving of, uh, of what they do. So the, the magic circle and the secrecy around that? Yeah, the circle's... That's a thing. That's, that's a, a oh, that's thing. definitely a thing. Yeah, because people expect, because magic's quite wonderful, um, they expect the secrets to be wonderful. And the secrets are quite ugly. 
to be honest. The, the way in which magic's done is always something of a of a disappointment. And so magicians are guarding it really for your your own good. And also once you know a few of those secrets, you won't get fooled. You'll never have that feeling of, oh my goodness, that's amazing, which is the feeling we want you to have. And every year, the magicians get together at uh, Blackpool. About 3,000 magicians all go to Blackpool Magic Convention. And uh, as you know, Blackpool is full of bed and breakfasts and they all stay in them. And years ago, the first time I went actually, there was a bed and breakfast and it got a sign in the window. It said, uh, bed and breakfast, two sausages for breakfast, £10. So I thought that sounds like a bargain. So I signed up and we went in for bed and breakfast. Came down in the morning and it got all magicians in the, uh, in the restaurant. And what they'd done, taken a sausage, cut it diagonally, laid it out with the two thicker ends so it looked like two sausages, and then used beans to cover the thinner ends. So and was, that's magic. And that's magic. So that, it was actually only one sausage for oh. breakfast, but the illusion of two. And they tried to get away with that with about 30 magicians in the room. It's <laughs> mayhem. Absolute mayhem. So that's one secret, the two sausage from one sausage yes. secret. Are there any other secrets that you can tell us? Uh, well, we're talking of sausages. We can do a floating sausage, um, which sounds inappropriate but all you need to do there are cameras and there are cameras we, you, you're, you gonna know up, you're gonna end up on some exciting websites now uh, you extend your uh, two first fingers uh, you put them together so they're touching like that uh, and about maybe a little bit closer to your face maybe about six inches from your face you look at your fingertips and you defocus and hopefully a little sausage will appear a little bit higher maybe oh. yeah now if you separate your like fingers. a string of sausages. Yeah, separate them very slightly. It'll float <gasps> right in front of you. That's very cool. That's good, isn't it? I'm just seeing a floating chipolata. Everyone, everyone can cause a little sausage to float. Oh. It's a lovely little illusion. And we're not really certain about why it works. Obviously, something to do with binocular vision, but we're not quite certain. And it was written up in, I think, 20s as a kind of demonstration of psychology students and they didn't know in the 20s either and even now we're not quite certain but yeah that's the 100 years on 100 years on and science still hasn't solved the mystery of the sausage we, we have come so far and and, and yet cannot explain the flame if any of our listeners know the secret of the floating sausage please keep it yourself no right, right, right in people have died to keep the mystery of the sausage secret absolutely no 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 let us know if they think they've got a theory and in a future episode we'll devote uh, an entire episode to theories of the floating sausage that would be great actually that would be, good. That would be really good so so what you've just showed me there is a, a trick that my brain makes um but then it seems like most of what you're telling me about magicians is just kind of um, sleight of hand? Well, no. So, so if I do an experiment as a psychologist, maximally it's going to work on 70-80% of the population. A lot of people, they, 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 whatever effect you're looking at, it simply won't work on them. What's interesting about magic is they're like mini-experiments. You have to go out in front of a group of strangers and it has to work 100% of the time under all circumstances. And even when they all get together and talk about it afterwards, they still can't figure out the, the solution. They are brilliant psychologists. They're running those experiments all the time. They then write them up like science experiments. And there's a massive literature to magic. It goes back over 100 years, thousands and thousands of books and magazines as, as one generation passes its knowledge on to the next. And you have to understand about psychology. You, you've got to understand what makes somebody look in a certain 
space. So if you've got a coin and um, if I've got a coin here, if you've got a coin here and then I look over here, then you're going to look at where I'm looking because mm. we're, we're social animals. It's, it's disappeared. It's though. disappeared. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's back. Um, so uh, so that that's very, very simple that, that, that you look where I look. And with magic, you have to craft a narrative which is more interesting than what's actually going on. So the truth behind this little red card trick here, very, very straightforward, very ugly secret. But you craft a narrative which is wiggling noses and, and, and so on, which is more interesting that stops people looking for the actual method and also tells them where to place their attention, you know, because within that narrative certain things matter and certain things don't. So there's a lot of psychology involved in magic. So knowing that humans will go for a better story? A, a more interesting more story. more interesting story. That's what we want. And, and then they'll do the work for you. Because when they tell their friends, they have to tell their friends a story which is impossible. Like the paranormal we were talking about uh, the other day. So if they say, I saw a magician and they saw the person in half, and the person goes, oh, a minute, well, they're just two people in the box. Yeah. The next time they tell the story, we saw inside the box, there's only one person, and it exaggerates. And, and you know that often you perform a trick... You go back in a couple of years' time, people go, oh, my goodness, that was amazing, the time that you made whatever, an elephant appear in our living room. And what it is is they've told, they've retold, they've done the work for you. A lot of this seems like fun and games, but is there any application? Is, is there something about magic that can make people's lives better? The use of performing arts in hospitals now, particularly with uh, kids, quite a big topic. And what's interesting about magic is that it can be performed, you know, one to one, performed to a group of people under almost any circumstance. You don't need a big sort of stage. So that makes it different to plays and dance and uh, drama and so on. And so there's a lot of work, magicians going into hospitals, teaching kids tricks, which encourage motor skills, but encourages concentration. You have to, even a simple trick like the one did there, you have to remember the sequence of, of events and encourages connectivity. You perform and you have to make it fun for people. It's a really fun way of connecting. So there's lots of research being done across the world of, of putting magic into those sorts of settings to help people. I'm a huge fan of it. And uh, David Copperfield did Project Magic in, in the 80s, which was the uh, forerunner of, of all of that. Was that teaching doctors to do the magic or do you bring the person in and dress them up like a clown um well we, we don't talk about clowns because magicians are not not well clowns are fine but but you well, do clowns get... aren't fine i mean notoriously they scare children so i don't think they should yeah you probably into... one of those yeah, well, no, I mean, there is clown clown medicine isn't there but that's a, that's a very different thing um no you you bring in the magician they either work with the health practitioner or they work alone but the important thing is building up that that kind of skill set and it also, what's interesting about magic is that you can rehearse on your own without annoying people. It's not like learning the violin. So it's got the self-control dimension. I mean, as a kid, in fact, as is true now, even with a lot of magicians, the packs of cards never leave their hands. When friends come around my house, they just sit there with packs of cards just all the time. So you've got that dimension. But then there's the social dimension of having to actually interact with somebody and not have them punch you at the end of the trick, which is the hardest bit. So, hardest bit of magic is to fool someone and then to fool them without them wanting to hurt you. And and not and, and also them not wanting to know how it's done, enjoying that moment of something being impossible, which we don't really get as adults very much. And it's not like a film or drama where you have to suspend your disbelief. This 
these things are really happening. I mean, you've done three impossible things in front of me, and I know logically that you haven't, but you have because because it feels I like a them. real experience. Yeah, yeah. I'm not asking you to pretend that you know it's it's not like drama, as I say, or anything like that. And so it's giving people that moment of, oh my goodness, something impossible just happened. And I do think there's a symbolism there, and uh, that well, if that's possible, what other things might be possible? And and when one looks back at Houdini, who's doing incredible escapes, and his name is still out there, you know, the symbolism of that is you can escape the, the kind of ties that bind. Um, when Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty vanish, you know, there's a huge symbolism behind that. So it isn't just about a trick. It's about what bigger message is being incorporated in that. And I think even the simplest of magic tricks has that. And positive, positive yeah, messages. For, for, the, for the most part, I think you're saying to people, it's, it's fun to be fooled, it's fun to think of alternatives, it's fun to think of a world that doesn't have the constraints that our world has. And when you think about some of those amazing breakthroughs or, or you know, putting a person on the moon, that seemed impossible at the time, absolutely impossible. But yet a group of people thought, hold on a second, I think we can do it. And that is very magic thinking, very can-do, very open mindset to what might be possible. And I think, and that's why I love magic, because I think all of that is incorporated in a very simple little card trick. So thank you to whoever it was who sent in that amazingly realistic question, because they were right. Richard, you are amazing. That was some amazing magic you showed me. Uh, my pleasure. You. Thank you for exploring one of my little passions with me. From Podimo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends. Leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.